for the for the low temperature below 70 degrees for a month wow. it was so bizarre i've never seen anything like it in 30 years i've been around here and um you know it was it was scary it was really scary to see what was what was going to happen what's the long-term effects what's the impact on the fishery um and uh you know i thank god for the reservoir here because at least there's a regenerative place for these fish to to kind of bounce back um you know down the road but not all the fish died not all the fish were were stressed but a lot of them were and it really it definitely made our our lives difficult as guides Mm -hmm. um you know like i i can't ethically guide people in water over 70 degrees for trout i'm not going to do it and none of my guides would do it either you know um so so that was that was difficult there was an economic impact you know on people here and um you know, we could do smallmouth stuff. We could go out for bath and stuff like that, and that was cool. But, you know, people want to come trap fishing the stable castles. Wherever you go in the Catskills, you could look down and imagine glaciers below you. I think the weather challenges on this incident were particularly difficult. Whereas Panson Mountain is totally opposite, it's a mountain on top of the crater. It was really the development of New York State. Catskills was responsible. Welcome to Inside the Line, the Catskills. Paul, welcome to the show. Thanks, happy to be here. Yeah, have you heard of the largest uh, pedestrian bridge in uh, the Czech Republic, I think? The largest pedestrian bridge? Yeah, suspension bridge. Oh, yeah, I have. Yes, I have. 2,365 feet long. I'm not walking across that, man. (laughs) Yeah, that is insane. Because it... my luck, it would be the 2,302nd step, and you know the 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 wood would cave in under my foot. <laughs> you'd, you'd hear the ting, 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 and all the the lines would break exactly. off. Exactly. Well, hopefully, hopefully, eight point three million million dollars to build it. It would be in good shape. I would hope so, man. That is pretty. That's insane. Yeah, it that's definitely. Insane. It definitely is. And uh, God, there's other stuff that I, I usually like to talk about some hiking stuff. Uh, yeah. Be- you know, it's funny. I, I, I feel terrible. I, I'm not a hiking guide technically. Um, I don't have my hiking uh, certification, but I will next season, which is good. Okay. Do, yeah, do you have, do you have, guide. <laughs> do you have people in your, uh, in, in at the outfitters uh, have that by the way? Yeah, yeah, actually, okay. um, uh, Greg, <laughs> Greg's my go-to. <laughs> oh, really? Nice. Yeah. He's he's a great guy. Yeah. I love him. He's he's the, he is an awesome dude, man, and uh, an old old friend of mine from you know back in the Catskill days, but you're still back. alive. We had a little rekindling of the Catskill hang uh, not that long ago, and I got to spend some time with Greg and. 
and his girlfriend Barbara. I actually did a, a little hike with him last week. I went to a, a really cool spot and did like a, a mile long hike. He kind of like led me into the spot that I'd been trying to get to for a really long time. And he he totally cracked the code for me, which was awesome. And uh, I wound up, you know, fishing and hiking with a buddy of mine that came along uh, for a few hours after uh, he got us into that spot. So, yeah, I love that dude. He's, uh, he's a gem and he's a good bass player too. Yeah, definitely, man. What well, what's his guy? Is he on a Ramones tribute band? Correct. Yeah, actually, uh, Rocket to Ruins uh, is the is the band. And funny enough, they we did a really kind of silly uh, gag kind of gig not that long ago. Um, well, we did one three years ago. And, and Greg wait, 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 wait. We? Yeah, me and uh, some other buddies of mine. Jason Darling and Dan Gurkha and our friend Tony Celebrini on drums. Uh, we did the Catskill High School 30th reunion in Leeds uh, nice. a few years ago, and it was it was a total gas. We had a great time, and Greg's band, you know, uh, opened the show and just killed it, and it was great. And then um, the pandemic kind of fucked that up for us. Oh, sorry. That's good. Okay. Yeah, pandemic botched the whole thing for us to do it the following year and the year after, but we just did it about a month and a half ago again in Catskill at this really cool little club. And uh, all those guys actually came. They didn't play with us this time, but but the guys from uh, Greg's band were there. So that was that was fun. We we goofed off pretty good. I I you know I don't have a lot of hair. Welcome to the club, buddy. Uh, there you go. We got the same barber. Yeah. I had a couple of wigs on. <laughs> nice. Um, I had a mullet for the first set. Uh, and then the second set, I had a, like a skullet visor. So it was like this yellow clear visor hat with like a, a mullet tail hanging off the back. Nice. But uh, yeah. It was what, do you, what do you play? Uh, I'm a bass player also. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Wicked. Yeah. I play electric guitar. So Awesome. Uh, I play a little guitar and some drums, but uh, you don't want to hire me for those gigs. <laughs> I'm, <gonna laughs> well, stick to, I'm sticking to the to my bass. That's that's my that's my thing. You never know. You never know. Yeah, I do some like um, right. uh, I do I do metal like hardcore death metal stuff like. <laughs> oh, shred shred fest! I dig it. Yeah, I mean, we had it. We played it. We played a Megadeth tune in our set. We did P cells, which was challenging oh, for me. Nice. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm primarily a, a finger style player, but I play with a pick. Actually, Greg came in. He's like, "Look, man, if you can't pull this off, I'll do it." <laughs> I'll <laughs> God, he, he put P-cells. my feet to the fire so I can get my pick. Yeah, yeah. It's um, killer. Yeah, that's uh, that's kick ass. That's kick ass, man. I I listen. I love all styles of music and i just like you know that kind of stuff i'm no stranger to it <laughs> good call I, lo- I love like sepultura i love that shit nice you know, this is, yeah there's some there's some good shit out there man i grew up listening to metal but then i kind of like had to like learn all these other things to feel like i was a, a half-assed decent musician and i was like you know what i didn't even know any of that. i should have just stuck with the metal <laughs> ah, right, right. I agree. So good on you, 
Yeah, yeah. Cheers. Um, cheers. Good to have you on the show, Paul. Uh, we've been talking a little Thank while you. about this, so um, I'm really excited, yeah. guys. Paul is the owner of Catskill Outfitters, located in Phoenicia, correct? That's right. Yeah. All right, and and they do they have everything from uh, apparel to fly fishing to soon to be guiding hiking guiding. So, looking forward to that. Yeah, yeah, and feel free to jump in there with us on our team stuff. I mean, that would be kick ass. We have, uh, yeah, we have a, a, you know, we can outfit people for for fly fishing, so waders, boots, rod, reels, lines, all the flies and all that stuff, and then we have some like outdoor apparel, um, light uh, camping gear, some, you know, packs. We sell like topo design packs and, you know, we have sleeping bags and, you know, uh, hammocks, you know, sleeping hammocks. And yeah, and then we sell snowshoes. We kind of shift things in the wintertime and do uh, snowshoeing trips, guided snowshoe trips. And uh, and then we rent and sell snowshoes too. So yeah, a little little touch on a lot of stuff. Pretty heavy leaning on the fly fishing, but you know that's uh, that's what was definitely needed in our area. You know, uh, another buddy of mine has a a great shop down the road, and and he does the same thing. And uh, so uh, yeah, it's cool. It was it was needed. There was such a big push in the last five years, you know, with with uh, fishing and stuff. So we felt like it was it was time to to open Catskill Outfitters and give people a, a place to come to get what they need and to get some, you know, nice trips under their belt uh, for fly fishing and stuff. Yeah. Wicked. All right. So uh, thank you to the monthly subscribers, Darren White, Vicky Ferra, John Comiskey, Alec Betancourt, Sarah Bacon, Jim C., Michael Bongner, and David Mead. Now, David Mead, I just had him on the last episode. He was awesome. The Ranger. He was phenomenal. I loved him. I can't wait to have him back. Dude. The Rangers are the those guys. I mean, the the name fits it. Those guys I know. are the best. Those guys and gals. Let me reiterate. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah, a right. Couple of, of female Rangers that are just. I wouldn't want to tangle with them. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I definitely, I definitely want them in my foxhole when there's when there's an issue out in the field. You know, so kudos, man. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. I I, I was it was a great episode. So, uh, Paul, what are you having to drink, buddy? Uh, currently. I am drinking a single malt scotch. Mm, excellent. Uh, a Tula Bardine that my lovely girlfriend got for me uh, for this occasion. Oh, <laughs> excellent. Well, well, cheers. I got a, I a rum and Coke, Appleton rum and Coke, man. Boom. A Jamaica. <laughs> Correct. Awesome. Cannot, oh, awesome. I miss Jamaica. I miss Jamaica so much. Oh my God, I got to get down there. I, I've had a little touch down in the Caribbean, but I've never got to hit Jamaica yet. And I'm so, I'm so jonesing to get down there. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's one of a kind. It definitely is. Definitely yeah, is. Yeah. So uh, what were you, you were, you were talking to me that you were, did a, did you do a, a guide today, a little tour for fly fishing today? I did actually, I just got off the water, like right at the sundown it's just around 7 30 now i got off the water around 6 30 and uh yeah i had two two really nice uh guys come out with me today uh one guy from north carolina and another guy from westchester they're old like childhood buddies they're a little older than me um so it was a nice thing for them to get away and they'd never fished the asophis before so 
we got out there and um, chiseled a little rust off of them. They needed a little, you know, refresher on a few things, but they got right in the zone and, and we had a great time, man. They put some fish in the net. It was a, it was a really nice day. It was just, I know you were probably out and about today. It was just perfect late afternoon, you know, Catskills, sunset, everything. It was, it was great. Yeah. So, yeah. I'm still drying out a little bit. <laughs> nice. Nice. Yeah. The other, yeah, yesterday, yeah. yesterday I went, uh, well, yeah, yeah. Yesterday I went up and did part of the escarpment yesterday. It was really nice. Beautiful day for the oh, escarpment. Cool. Yeah. I meant I meant it guy that had uh some good old army boots with about like six layers of duct tape on it so that was a little <laughs> odd <laughs> he, he was kind of up to the challenge it sounds like yeah he, um, he uh well, he looked like popeye though the way the shoes were it was like it was like bowed out in front <laughs> definitely <laughs> odd <laughs> yep exactly and we were just like we we're like all right all right this is this is definitely different and i'm just i'm just like right Trying to trying to see if he wanted some uh, some new shoes, but he was not looking to have a conversation. He didn't he didn't want to do it. He's sticking with his with his flappy shoes. Yeah, yeah. Hey, whatever, <laughs> whatever works, man. Um, <laughs> no doubt. Uh, so uh, I don't really have any news, but except I mean the season's winding down, but you can still volunteer anywhere. Uh, there's still volunteer opportunities. I encourage that every time, every episode all the time because it's just needed in the Catskills as Paul would know because of the sudden rise, like he said before of just the, the Catskills opening up to a bunch of people, like thousands and thousands of new people, you know, we need the volunteers out there to guide them, to give them the right education and to, you know, let them, you know, have a good time, but also doing the right thing. No doubt. No doubt, man. It's funny. I'm, I'm looking at this Dawson. I actually know one of the Denman. Um, <laughs> Excellent. And it, I'm telling you, the guy, he probably doesn't have a computer or too many um, technologically advanced devices, um, but what a salt of the earth type of person. And he actually lives like not very far from me. And uh, he, I had a conversation with him once and I was like, wow, I didn't realize those that's like his that's the stock you know of the yeah. family and the heritage around here so that's really cool that you're that you're talking about this stuff man because it's really so core to what we are about here and how even you and i uh, interact with our environment you know and and how it needs to be preserved and protected and you know educate people um uh, while still being able to engage and, and be out there and be a part of nature, you know, and yeah. um, have an understanding of what the hell is going on out in the woods, you know, <laughs> that's pretty important, pretty important these days. It is. So, yeah. So uh, Paul was talking about, I'm going to do some Catskill Mountain history. Uh, is that cool? All right. So when the Denmans and as Paul was talking about and other settlers arrived in the southern west, the southwestern Catskills, they found land covered for the most part in virgin forest or what we call first growth as is now called. According to surveyors records made around 1800, which considered fundamentally accurate and representing today, the forest of the lower to middle altitudes of the Catskill Mountains, where settlers usually built their cabins and, and farmed, consisted of a mix of hardwoods of hemlock 
and uh, 50% were beech, 13% sugar, 7% birch, and about 20% hemlock. Today, these percentages are roughly the same, uh, if a bit lower in regards to the hemlock, because, of course, they were logged, according to uh, the great historian Michael Kudish, who I had in a previous episode. It's great to have him, plan to have him again. Um, as Kudish pointed out in the recent lectures, the present extent of the first growth forest in the Catskills found predominantly in high peaks more above 3,500 feet. In contrast, the 1,800 cannot amount today to more than 6% of the forest population, which once again is mostly above 3,500 feet. Um, wow. Settlers using axes, arguably their most important tool, cleared these prevail forests by either cutting down the girdle or girdling the trees. Girdling is the process where by ringing the bark around the trunk is removed uh, to prevent the sap from flowing through the branches. Um, this actually kills the tree and leaves it to wither, opening up the forest floor to the sun, thus enabling the crops of corn and latter wheat, rye, and potatoes to be planted. All wood not used for purposes of construction or for fencing was dragged into huge piles by oxen and then burned. The resulting ashes were collected and used as fertilizer or in the manufacture of potash. Ashes mixed with water and boiled to make lye for soap and gunpowder. Potash was the seller's first cash crop. During the process of clearing land, which often took several years to complete, pioneers were sometimes injured or even killed by fallen trees or the dropping of dead limbs. Uh, once small clearing was cleared, a, cleared, a cabin built from a cleared timber was constructed. The temporary structure later to be supplemented by a frame house was made of round logs kinked with split logs to be plastered with K. Floors were made of packed earth or split logs. Windows were holes. The fireplace was constructed by fieldstone, sticks, and clay. The roof or shakes were bark. This primitive one-room structure was not the most comfortable form of uh, habitation, by the way. Um, pioneers, especially women, spent more time in the, in, inside than men, and often found it unsatisfactory. Julia Hanford, who was born in 1875 in the upper Rondout Valley, found her cabin tiny, dark, almost without windows, with dirt always sifting between the cracks. Nonetheless, granting these sentiments is always interesting to note that in the Southern Catskills, frame houses did not replace log cabins until after the Civil War. Yeah, so crazy stuff. Wow. I got that from Heart of the Southern Catskills by Bob Student. Amazing book if you've ever Dude. read it. Wow, that is amazing. Yeah, crazy that's stuff. And that's amazing. right out Southern Catskills. That's what, where you're located, basically. Yeah, yeah, that is so wild, man. That's really interesting. Um, something new every day. <laughs> yeah, you knew about the Demons. I mean, you talked to one of the Demons. That's pretty crazy. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I couldn't believe it. You know, when I talked to him, I was like, oh, <laughs> so <laughs> you're the reason, uh, <laughs> your family's the reason a lot of these uh, settlers came to the area and, and, you know, they did so much, you know, around here. Um, I, I don't even know the half of it, but you know, the guy looks like Grizzly Adams. I mean, it's pretty <laughs> amazing. He, he, and it, but he's just the nicest guy in the world. And I can tell, you know, that was the hearty stock of folk, obviously. Yeah, you'd expect that from a guy who's been here since, what, what did I say, uh, the 1800s. Well, their family has been here since yeah. the 1800s. Going to continue yeah. that tradition <laughs> of being Grizzly Adams. Yeah, totally. Well, he, he doesn't look much different. <laughs> I mean, for all I know, it was actually it was actually a ghost. It may not have even you know. <laughs> true, 
They're like, true. He's not. Yeah, it's like large March sent you. You know, it's one of those things. Who knows? <laughs> Crazy. That's a, that's awesome. Um. All right. So hopefully you enjoyed that uh, good amount of Catskill Mountain history. Um, so let's move on to our guest of the night, uh, Paul Shivo from Catskill Outfitters. Let's go. Uh, he's here to talk about his place, Catskill Outfitters, of course, and about fly fishing. I got some questions about recent times in, in the Catskills, and we're going to go over that. So, Paul, welcome to the show, buddy. Yeah. By the right way, on. I didn't... Thanks so much. This is episode 48. I didn't say that in the beginning. I usually say that in the beginning, but I forgot. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. Well, thanks for having me, man. I appreciate it. I love the show. I love what you're doing. And I just, uh, just really grateful, uh, that you, uh, asked me to do it. Man. I appreciate it. Oh, come on. I, I give all love throughout the Catskills and, uh, anything and everything I can find, whether it's born or not born, I will bring them on the show because it's part of the Catskills and, you know, um, I love the Catskills. Me too, man. You're like, nice. you're like the Johnny Appleseed. That's great. Somebody's got to <laughs> spread the word. <laughs> Hell yeah. All right. So Paul, why don't you give us a, a background about yourself? Uh, you know, your, your previous life and in the, in and outside the Catskills doesn't matter, man. Right on. Well, I was, uh, I was born in Catskill, New York, uh, about 500 years ago. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, I grew up. I grew up in the Catskills uh, as a young guy, a very young child. My grandparents actually came up here uh, from uh, New York City and and the surrounding areas of Brooklyn, Manhattan, uh, in the '30s. And my my grandfather actually uh, bought a bunch of land around the Catskills in different places from the actual village of Catskill. Um, Athens, uh, Wyndham, uh, Cairo, um, and you know, over the years, obviously, they my my mother was conceived here in the 30s, you know, and and uh, years later, my parents moved up here uh, in the early 60s, and my father built with his own two hands a beautiful home right outside of the village of Catskill, and that's where I was kind of born, and and where I kind of cut my teeth just being out in the woods we had like a hundred acres um nice. of beautiful land and yeah and there was a couple of big ponds on the property and i learned you know how to you know fish for bass and stuff when i was you know five six seven years old and then uh when i was only in god i guess i was in like fourth grade my father worked for general motors and he got transferred to Oklahoma, to Oklahoma City, to a new plant that was just opening out there. So the entire family moved to Oklahoma in the 70s, late 70s. And I kind of grew up in two different places, so to speak. So I spent my youth through high school in Norman, Oklahoma, where the University of Oklahoma is in a big college town. And, uh, you know, big suburban sprawl kind of thing but i did a lot of fishing there outside you know you get outside of town and it's uh you're in oklahoma so yeah there's a lot of farm ponds and i did a lot of like trapping and hunting and fishing and stuff like that which was great but i also would come back in the summers um back to new york and kind of would summer here with my mom and and dad and you know kind of grew up 
with my friends as a young, young child over the summers up here. So I had this weird dichotomy. I had these two groups of friends, you know, that I grew up with. The ones that I was with most of the time in Oklahoma and then, you know, my my old souls here in the Catskills. So just to kind of move on with that, I I moved back here in, uh, God, I guess it was, 89 I went to college here for a while went back to Oklahoma and then I came back permanently in 94 and I moved to Woodstock and uh you know I I never left I couldn't I didn't want to leave you know go anywhere else I knew this is where I had to be for the rest of my life and um so I was uh yeah I was a, a young uh budding audio engineer and, and took a uh, internship at Bearsville Studios in Woodstock. And it was kind of a sink or swim job, you know, kind of figure it out in like three months or you're kicked to the curve and <laughs> you're on to the next guy, you know. Um, but that was a great experience. And, uh, you know, I really enjoyed um, my time in that studio. I got to work on a lot of great records with, with amazing people. And it was it's the other passion in my life you know like you're you're a musician i'm a musician but i really took a uh, it, i took a, a turn towards audio engineering and recording at a young age and you know i was the guy that used to like take apart the transistor radio and put it back together and shit like that nice you know? um, hands-on kind of guy right hands-on yeah exactly I mean, that's great play with play with all the knobs and buttons and shit but you know i i I learned a lot very quickly there. I had a great, a couple of mentors actually at the studio and I cut my teeth um, as a young engineer there and in my twenties. Um, so it's, it's my other passion, you know, it's, um, it's, it's a big part of my life still. Um, I'm, I'm actually um, getting sucked into doing a, <laughs> a music festival in a couple of weeks that was like you know there was a gap to be filled and they needed an engineer so i'm gonna chill some of the rest off and get out where, there and, and where's that at let, you gotta let us know where that, that at Muse. yeah this is actually called fly day and it's not that far from us it's um gonna be at the blackthorn resort the fly day festival there's gonna be uh, a whole bunch of bands there that are really kick-ass um there's one band that's pretty mind boggling. That's on that bill called screaming headless torsos that have been around forever. Um, <laughs> and a lot of those, yeah, it's a great name, right? Right. Um, but yeah, a lot of those guys have been on the New York scene for many, many years and in different capacities as session people, sidemen with different artists and stuff. But this was their band. since like, God, I think they 91 or 92, so it's one of those things where they're all getting back together and going to do, but they're going to do a handful of shows. They'll do a couple in New York probably. And then they're going to do this one up here. And then it's hosted by a, a really incredible band called Schleho who are from central New York. And they are four of the most dominant beastly musicians I've ever seen in my life nice. to this day. And they've, they've been around forever too. But again, this is their, their festival where they kind of come back together and they, they play a show and they invite a lot of people. So that'll be a lot of fun, but not to digress too much. I, um, I don't want to get 
off your topic. No, no, that's what, that's that's okay. <laughs> I just want to know to have people people you know to know of these festivals and festivities and yeah, stuff like yeah. that. So okay, that's yeah. Cool. So so last day you were uh, an audio done engineer in Woodstock, and so what got yeah, you so, basically? What got you into uh, going out into the fly fishing and stuff like that? Besides being a kid. So it was funny, Stosh. When I came back, when I came back in '94, I picked up a fly rod. So I was in the studio, working in studio, living in the middle of Woodstock, and and I've had a propensity as as you and I probably have the same uh, disorder. I would call it. It's called ABS or around the bend syndrome, <laughs> where <laughs> you get out in the woods and you go, I just want to go around that turn one and just see what's there. It's the same affliction with with fly fishing and being on a river, right? So uh, when I came back here, I made it a point to explore every piece of water I could find that was moving or not moving in the Catskills uh, within, within, you know, a radius of around where I was. And I kind of spiraled out from the epicenter of where I was in round Woodstock and, and I found a lot of water and hiked a lot and fished everywhere I could and tried to discover what species were where. And, and, uh, I was fortunate enough to have a really good friend that gave me my first fly rod. And, and that first time I went out and tied a fly on the end of that line and, and I caught a fish. It was just, it was, that was it. It was over. I'm I'm hooked for life. You know, it's one of those things. That's so, a, is um, that a pun, pun yeah. intended, hooked for life? It, it, yeah, I guess it is. You know? <laughs> um, yeah, that's, that's what it is, um, for sure. But um, yeah, that was a really amazing uh, time for me of discovery um, as I went up through Platte Clove and up, you know, the Catterskill Clove and all around Palinville and, you know, over to, you know, Blenheim and and all over the place, as far as I could go before I knew there wasn't a gas station, I wasn't able to get home, um, you know? And uh, so I, I felt that that experience, those experiences for me were so important on different levels, but that I wanted to share that with people so much. I wanted everybody to, to have that feeling that I have when I'm out there and you know, exploring and, and finding uh, solace in nature and and connecting with nature, you know. Yeah. Um, so I, I just kind of kept pressing on and I, and then I started to go out west and into Colorado and, and explored a lot out in Colorado and central western Colorado. Um, and um, the same thing happened to me there. <laughs> and nice. the ABS was ABS was even worse out there because it's so vast and and there's so much to see. Um, but uh, I, I just um, tried to take as much of those experiences uh, as I could and try to put them into a place where uh, it was easily digestible for people to to like engage in, nice. in what I. I liked because I figured they would like it too. So I'm figuring out and understanding not only the sport of fly fishing, the craft of it, um, the history of it, and and the Catskills. Again, just going back as 
as you know, is the birthplace of fly fishing in North America. Yeah. It's, you know, the Scottish, the Scots started 900 years ago and, you know, it came here and that was it. We, we pioneered that, that sport and uh, Theodore Gordon and so many champions, you know, um, around the Catskills um, that we read about and, and, and just love, you know, for what yeah. they, for what they did, you know? Um, so th- this is now turned into, you know, <laughs> through my, through my thirties and, you know, now I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm going to keep doing this. Um, so present day, it was one of those things like I need to, I need to, uh, get my guide license. Right. You know, I got, I've been a guide for six years now. Um, Technically, uh, I got my my guide pin six years ago, and and then um, I said, okay, now I can actually do this. I can, you know, I can, you know, I always took out my brother and my cousins and my friends, but I was yeah. like, it's got to be the greater the greater public, the the for the greater good of you know tre- teaching people how to do this and helping them understand what it is. So I opened Catskill Outfitters uh, with with my buddy, Doug, we're going on our third year now. Unfortunately, we opened in the middle of the pandemic. Oh, God. We were expecting that when we were, when we were chiseling away at the, at the building in Kenesha and, you know, uh, getting paint on the deck and, and, you know, sawing boards and stuff. But I'm glad we did it in any case. And, and it's, been, it's been great. And, and people have been having a good experience. So, um, yeah, it, we're just going to keep, keep plowing ahead man and keep trying to spread the word that's good and that's what i'm doing here today <laughs> and that's what we're doing here <laughs> today i do that all the time so let's let's talk about the the Phoenicia store what uh you you talked about a little earlier what you sell and stuff like that uh give us a quick yeah. little rundown like you did before of uh of the store in sure. Phoenicia. yeah so um so we're located right on uh church street um which is it's main street in Phoenicia right across from, uh, from Brio's and, and, uh, right in the middle of town. And we specialize in, um, a bunch of different things. Haskell Outfitters has pretty much everything that you would need, uh, to get out and, and go fly fishing. So we sell, uh, Reddington Sims, uh, waders and boots. We sold Shota waders and boots. We have a bunch of rods. We're a moonshine rod dealer, which is very rare. Um, they're a great rod company based out of uh, Tennessee, and um, we love their stuff. Great company, great people. Um, we are a Bauer authorized Bauer real dealer, which is pretty oh, rare nice. also in these parts. Um, uh, and then we are also Ross, Ross Reels uh, dealer. So we have a lot of those things. We sell Rio lines and uh, we also work really closely with Cortland line company who are based here in New York, which we love. And, um, and then we work with a handful of local fly tires that tie for us. Um, we try not to buy anything out of this country if we can help it. But uh, the way things are, sometimes you're just kind of stuck with certain things, but the flies, uh, we have a great fly tire um named glenn hopkins he's been around here forever and uh he just he's a very unique tire and uh 
his flies catch a lot of fish. So we love him. Nice. <laughs> um, so do you, so do you rent Paul? Uh, we rent uh, waders and boots, rods and reels to people. Nice. Um, and, and yeah. And then on the guide side, you know, we can guide, uh, we do half day, full day trips up to, you know, 10 people for those. Um, if we do like we do corporate outings and overnight backcountry trips for brook trout in the high peaks areas. And uh, we really we cover all of the Catskills. We 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 love the Asopus because it's our home water and it's our backyard. But we fish the east and west branches of the Delaware. We have a drift boat guide, uh, Landon Brosser, who's one of the greatest guys ever. And he's a great guide is our drift boat guide on the West branch of the Delaware. Um, and then we do the willow mock at the beaver kill and, uh, some of the tributary waters as well. So that kind of encompasses that side of, of the Catskill outfitters fly fishing and guide stuff. Um, and then, like I said before, we have a, a bunch of cool like day packs and stuff that we sell by Topo design, um, jackets, coats, waterproof gear, you know, for the elements, um, socks, you know, warm yeah. socks, not good stuff. any socks. Like good stuff. Socks. <laughs> yeah, man. And, uh, yeah. So, you know, not to plug a bunch of, bunch of, uh, companies or anything, but it's, it's a lot of good stuff in there. Um, and again, a little smattering for a lot of people, you know, that might just want to be outdoors, for, you know, so, you know, backpacks and sleeping bags and stuff like that. And then we have some home goods as well. We sell like really nice uh, curated gifts that were, you know, brought from different places around the Catskills. So there's handmade candles and soaps and stuff like that. And then um, uh, we've managed to bring in some stuff from far away from fly fishing adventures that my partner had been on. So he brought back some things from Croatia that you cannot get in this country, which are really cool. And then we sell um, beautiful, you know, blankets and scarves from a, a woolery in Ireland named John Hanley, which is a 400-year-old uh, place that makes beautiful wool blankets and scarves. And they're just very unique and beautiful um, gifts and stuff like that. Um, nice. And then we have the snowshoes and all that other stuff, too, So for the winter stuff. Yeah. You, know? so you got micro spikes and, and uh, crampons? We do. So we sell okay, micro good. spikes and crampons. Gotta have them, man. You gotta, gotta have, have them. them. If I That's... had a nickel that first year I opened, if I had a nickel for every, you know, because I had the snowshoes and poles, and I'm like, God, there's so many other things we need. And I'm like, oh, God. You know, and I'm like, the first week, as soon as the snow flew, I had a bunch of people call, like, you have crampons? You have ice? You have spikes? Nice. <laughs> like, oh my God, I gotta order all this shit. So, yep. so yes, we carry all that stuff. It's in stock and it's in the house. Good call. Good call. Awesome. Yeah. Great. Great rundown. Love it. So you were a, a young kid in in the Catskills. Uh, what what has changed between then and now? I mean, I mean, I've only hiked here for for six years, and I can notice a significant change in the hiking trails. Yeah. Of course, towns. Yeah. Uh, I know it sounds really really bad. You know, like six years ago, these these towns weren't thriving like they are right now uh which is crazy being six years um and then i couldn't even imagine you know what was it like back when you were a kid in the in the 70s and 80s 
Yeah, you know, it's funny you say that because it was, uh, everything was so undiscovered back then, it seemed like. And you, you wanted to always be your own oyster, you know. It's just, yep. But it's also now as we're older and, and we understand that we want to share this, um, we're grateful that we have the ability to do that. But, you know, when I was younger, it would be like, you know, we could, we could walk on some of these trails, like, like you were talking about the, uh, the escarpment trail earlier. Nobody really even knew about it. You know, mm-hmm. it was like, you know, yep. like, um, even the overlook trail, when I, when I moved to Woodstock in the early nineties, like there was a handful of people that went up there. There wasn't a lot of people going up into Platte Clove and, and, you know, I used to camp in Platte Clove in the eighties, like, I, we buried our stuff up by, you know, Twin Falls up there under a bunch of leaves, you know, and, a, and with a tarp, you know, covered it up. And, you know, like it was there when we went back, you know. Yeah. Um, so uh, it's just like you said, it, it's so it's so vastly different than it used to be. Um, a lot of these these hiking paths and, and waterways are much more traveled and and. And especially in the last few years, you know, we had so many people, there was such a resurgence in tourism up here because everybody wanted to escape New York and get, get out of there. And they all came here. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, That's what so, I said. <laughs> yeah. Totally. And, and, you know, we saw all these people um, that really didn't have a good enough knowledge and understanding of the elements around them, getting themselves into a lot of trouble. Um, and you're a SARS guy. I don't have to tell you, I'm a firefighter. <laughs> I had enough search and rescues last summer to last me, uh, quite a while. And I know you were probably on, uh, some of those calls uh, yep. as well. So, you know, that's the only thing that kind of bugged me and really made me to your point, kind of look back and say, God, it was so different. You know, uh, there's so much less traffic and, and, you know, less impact on the environment and stuff like that. I, I admire the, the people that want to embrace nature, but I, but I want them to be, do it responsibly, you know, and, and, yeah, and that's the definitely. thing to your, to your point. I feel like there, there's an air of irresponsibility, unfortunately, that's kind of come along with um, an impact to, to our zone, you know, um, but hopefully, people like you and, and others, you know, can help enlighten some people a little bit, you know, people like me and you, you know, people like me and you and Greg and Mo and all those guys. Yeah. That's yeah. what, you know, yeah, yeah. I did, I did this for the education for, cause you know, like the, this day and age, yeah. of course, you know, it's all about the internet. It's all about technology. It's all about that. You can search anything online, but I, I don't know why people don't do that before they, they go out. It's really right. sad. I know. <laughs> Like, I mean, no, you don't wear you don't wear flip flops to climb Catterskill Falls. Yeah, uh, you do bring you do bring water when you're hiking up, you know, Black Dome. You know, you, there's just there's certain things like you're, like you're saying that just you know just take a little time for yourself and for people around you. You know, because you know you know it's like the guy behind you that doesn't have the right shit is uh going to be in trouble and who's got to take care of it you you know yep. correct uh, you know so yeah it, it's it's been really really interesting 
um, to see what's going on. And I feel like, you know, the DC and the Rangers and, um, and your group, the SARS uh, group did a, did a pretty good job both here and the, and the DAX trying to educate people like, Hey, everybody, you know, not to use your, your, your own line, but pump the brakes a little bit, people. You need to think about what you're doing. You know, before you do it out here, because it's, it's, it just got it just got crazy. So hopefully, there's a little more a little more education, you know, that that's gotten out there to people and to help them make the right decisions in the field, and you know, before yeah. they go out for an excursion with their with their little kids, you know, and and their buddies. Yeah, being a you know in the Catskills for so long and stuff like that. Have you had any uh, crazy uh, hikes that you've ever been on or crazy and, adventures, not even involve hiking, but, but like fly fish and yeah. stuff like that. Well, <laughs> it's funny. I'm going to, I'm going to shoot my own, uh, my own foot off because I was one of those people a long time ago that we were just talking about. And I learned my lesson, I think. So I think it was 90 something. It was like 93 I took 93 or 94. I took my fly rod and I went up a, a small tributary on the backside of, of uh, on the backside of Overlook, like between Sugarloaf and Overlook. I went up there and I went through a farm. I probably shouldn't have done that. I <laughs> later, many years later, met the farmer and the family that owned the property and talked to them. But I, I went up through their farm. It was a beautiful, beautiful farm. And, and I like, it just had to like get up again, ABS syndrome. I had to get around the bend of the farm. And then I was like up in the headwater of this beautiful, uh, it was really the upper uh, sawk hill is what it was. Oh, nice. And, and I was, I caught a lot of fish. I'll just put it that way. I was just, I couldn't, I couldn't do any wrong that day. So I just kept going and going and going. And now it's getting dark. I'm in the notch back there. I don't have enough time to get back to my car. So I'm looking up to my right and there's the side of Mount Overlook. Like, and I'm at the bottom, man. I mean, at the very bottom. And I'm like, I kind of know where the trail is if I get up there and blah, blah. So I'm like, and now I don't have any water. And I have no food. Right? So... I'm like, you got to get out of here. You know, you got like 20 minutes of light. So I scrambled up the side of the hill and it was probably, you've probably been, been back there with the right gear. I had like sneakers on. I was in shorts, all wet with my rod in my hand. And, and uh, I'm scrambling up this hill. It's probably like a good 40 to 50 degree pitch nice. going up the side of the thing. <laughs> I was, not prepared, you know, not prepared at all. It's now taken me a good hour and I'm probably three quarters of the way there. It's completely dark. There's a sh- tiny bit of light, but it's like dark. I'm like, I have to come out. I know I'm going to come out near the trail on the overlook somewhere. And I like, literally I'm clawing my way up out and I finally see like, a little break like there's a little tiny bit of light and i claw my way up and i hit the trail and right when i got to the trail 
there was, I don't, I, you probably know it. There's like a little spring pipe that comes off of the trail with water. Oh yeah. And I felt, I felt like I was, I just came out of the Mojave desert and I just sat under that thing. I was like, nom, 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 you know, for like, like an oasis. five minutes. And totally. And I just laid there for like five minutes and I was like, fuck, my car is like seven miles away now. Yeah. <laughs> so it was, it, dude, it was the luckiest. It was the biggest stroke of luck ever. There's nobody. It was like dark. It was like seven, eight o'clock at night by then. And, you know, it was probably around this time of year. And I'm like, I'd start walking down the trail to get down where the monastery is, where the parking area is. And there's one flashlight coming up the path. And they shine at us. And somebody goes, Paul. And I was like, you know, the lights in my eye. I'm like, who the fuck is that? Yeah. It was my buddy Dave. It was my buddy Dave, and he was with like his dog. He was just doing a like nighttime little walk up halfway up the mountain. And I was like, dude, you <laughs> saved my life. Get me. I'm like, dude. he's like, look, my girlfriend's coming up. She's going to have her car. He's like, hike down. I got a bag of carrots in my car. The keys are in it. Just take my car. I'll get it tomorrow. We'll get your car later. I was like, thank you, dude. Oh, man. And that oh, was shit. Like, first big lesson at 23 years old like don't do that again um but that was uh one of the ones where i was like i need to make sure i can get out of this spot you know um the only other time that i got kind of freaked out was in colorado because i i fish and hike in colorado a lot and uh and i guide there occasionally too um and i got down a straight 1200 foot canyon wall drop off on both sides in this beautiful spot same thing like beautiful fish down there there's salmon and giant rainbows and all this stuff and it was awesome and but the only thing was it was at the base of of the blue mesa reservoir which is the the giant reservoir for like uh, denver's water supply and it runs it comes out of there and becomes pine creek and it's this crazy beautiful waterway and I got way down in there and they opened the dam. Oh. <laughs> and and it's not like other places I've fished where, you know, like in Arkansas on the White River, if you're down below Bull Shoals Dam, you know, trout fishing, they'll sound that siren and like you know, like it's time to get out of the water, you got a couple minutes. This thing's just like a silent, you know, predator. You know, wow. they open the thing up, the water came up and I'm like I can't, I couldn't get back. So I had to jump in and swim downstream no to get shit. back to the trail. Yeah. But, um, you know, those are, those were like times when I, you know, that was one thing, like it wasn't quite my fault because there was no warning that that was going to happen. I even looked at the USGS side and they don't tell you when they're going to open that thing up. So I was kind of pissed and I, I, I talked to a guide buddy of mine there in, in Crested Butte and I was like, dude, why, why don't they just like sound a little alarm or something, give you a yeah. kind of warning, you know, cause I don't need to do that. I was, I was like, I'm usually pretty prepared at that point in my life. And I, I didn't need that kind of stress. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I just yeah. to have a good time, you know, but uh, yeah, man, there's the, there's been a, a whole bunch of those. I had a few bear, incidents out here in the Catskills with 
you know, uh, nothing bad. They didn't attack me or anything, but I've had some like weird one-on-one, you know, um, you know, situations with bears when I was in the water in the summertime up here and just come around the corner and there's just a big bear sitting in one of the, the fishing holes. <laughs> oh, like, wow. He looks over his shoulder at me and I'm like, Hey buddy. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Right. Gonna back off here and do my thing. That's like the that's here. like the initial reaction with a bear. Hey, buddy. <laughs> yeah, that's well. Hey, bud. Yeah, you know, as long as you're not in Montana, then you're probably a little better off. Yep, yep. With the grizzlies. Yep. Yeah. Oof. Yeah. I don't. I don't need those. But yeah, man. It's just. It's always a. Every season seems to bring some kind of adventurous uh, experience out. You know. So. I'm looking that's forward to this fall, which is tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, right? right. Yeah, that's crazy. That's fall tomorrow. Yeah, table. I'm gonna right. drink to that. So, uh, what got you your fly fishing guide? Of course, uh, what got you into being like a guide? I know, I know your your passion is fly fishing, yeah. basically. Well, I you know, I I learned how to be a guide from a guide in Colorado that I really. I, I just thought he was an, an amazing guy and, and his style, his, his way of teaching everything really, this was like, you know, I, I think I could do this. I may not be able to do it as good as him, but I'm going to sure try like hell to, to emulate the things that he taught me and the way that he taught me to do stuff. And his name is Lou Warner and he's, he's just an awesome guy. And, and uh, he's got a, He's got a great business in Patagonia, so he guides down there what would be our in our winter, which is their summer. Mm-hmm. And he's up in Colorado, you know, here in the in the summertime months. So, you know, that really kind of I'm one of those guys like I I I see somebody doing something and I want to learn how to do it like they do it and and so I can, again, kind of have uh, people get that same experience that I got. And it it changed me uh, as an angler. I became a little more conscious and a little more uh, forgiving of people. Uh, and, you know, wh- when they were trying to learn something, it gave me more patience as a, as nah. a human being. You know, it, it taught me patience. And it's, it, believe me, that's not easy for me. You know, I have a teenage <laughs> daughter, so <laughs> oh, <laughs> I need all nice. the help I can get, brother. I need all the help I can get. But uh, you know, my girlfriend is, is is very much that way too. She's extremely patient. She's a great fly fisherman, and, and uh, you know, I I feel like when I fish with her, I have some of the best times of my life on the water because. She's, she's like me. She's like a sponge. She just soaks it all up. And, you know, so to go back to what you're saying, I, I just, I really loved learning from somebody that was really good. And then, you know, like, I want to bring that here. I want to, I want to bring that vibe to the Catskills and, and try to give people a, a taste of what that, what that is. And, and we've had it here. We have there are guys that have been doing this for so long around here. I mean, Mark Lodi, who I love to death, 
and and we work together all the time. Great guide, amazing dude. He's been guiding for, for over a decade here. You know, um, just there, there's a there's a handful of great people in this area that I just adore and and I have the same you know. I just have the same feeling for that way uh, as I do like my buddy Lou. Um, but again, I think it's about being kind and understanding and patient and, and it's, it's a discipline uh, for me almost. Um, and the more I do it, the more I actually learn, you know, too. I don't care how good they are. They could come they 75% of the people I guide, on the river have never touched a fly rod in their life. Nice. You know, but I still, I still learn something from them. I still am picking something up, teaching them something. Nice. I've watched people. I understand what they're doing and, 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 you know, how can I help make them better? And then I'm learning something myself, you know? So I guess it's just kind of all encompassing. You know? Yeah, yeah, it's 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 your passion. You know, it's it's what you're born yeah. to do. I I hear you. You know, passing that on to other people. You know, like hiking. You know, I'm a, I'm a crazy hiker, and I love passing that on. People ask me, I'm just like, yeah, I will take you, and then Dude. to show them that that viewpoint at the top and to see their their face drop is just absolutely magical. Right. And you're like, gotcha, gotcha, hooked. Yeah, yeah. Now they're hooked. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's what's up. And dude, I really would love to get out on a hike with you, man. And like, I need to see some stuff that I haven't seen. And there's plenty. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. There is. Um, I'll take you no to a doubt. plane crash or something like that. That would be awesome. As long as we're not in it, I, I'm psyched. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Good point. Good point. Good point. Where's uh, no, where's that? That would your... be awesome. Yeah. So what, what's uh, one of your favorite uh, places to fish without, without giving the, the exact location away. So you don't have to. Yeah. Oh, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not super secretive about stuff there. I don't like to see like the people that are listening to this podcast, your show, you know, they're not going to run out there and like burn our shit down. You know, Um, these are hopefully, you know, people that are educated and understand things and they're not going to go there and throw a bunch of trash around or something. So, you know, I, I don't mind sharing that stuff. I, I honestly, I've been rediscovering the Western Catskills a little bit more. And um, I really love, um, there's a couple areas I really enjoy. I have, I have a lot of family, uh, probably not that far from where you are, near Cherry Valley and Springfield and, and Cooperstown area. And um, I, I spend a lot of time up in those hills, you know, over the last 30 years or so with my cousins fishing up there and some of the ponds and lakes. Um, and there's a uh, really nice stuff over that way. Oaks Creek, uh, around Oneonta is a really cool spot that I like to go to. That's totally off the beaten path. And oh, yeah. I, I love it over there. I, I fish, um, I fish in Otsego a lot. Nice. Otsego Lake. It's a beautiful lake. Awesome. Oh, it's beautiful, man. It's a glacier lake and it's just, you know, it's beautiful there. And, um, there's salmon, there's landlocked salmon in there. There's big trout. There's great bass fishing in there. Um, and it's just, that's a gem. You know, I, I love going up there. Those are, those are a couple of the places, you know, the, the rivers, 
in the Catskills, um, the east branch of the Delaware, uh, above the Papacton Reservoir, is a oh, beautiful, yeah. storied, you know, piece of water. Um, I love I love me some Asopus, obviously, because <laughs> I live on it and I guide on it a lot. Um, and uh, a lot of the a lot of the tributaries, um, um, which I don't really guide on that much, man. I, I don't. Not that I don't want people to go there. It's just uh, the tributaries are so delicate. Yeah. That, um, we want to preserve those fish. Those are all wild native fish that need as little impact on them as possible. So like when I don't really keep a lot of fish cause I'm a catch and release angler, you know, if I'm camping, I'll keep a couple of trout, you know, and, and eat them for dinner. So, um, you know, there's a handful of those spots that I camp on around the Catskills that, um, there's some beautiful brook trout and I might keep a couple here and there, you know, I like, uh, the never sink, the never sinks a beautiful, body of water even all the way down from fallsburg up is 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 beautiful water and mm. um yeah but i could probably go yeah on. yeah, yeah it but sounds like you're, you're naming every every creek and sand and river in the catskills <laughs> nothing wrong yeah. with that those are those are some of my faves though for sure man Nice. So, I mean, what we were talking, you were just talking about the, um, the tributaries being very, very important. They're very important right now because of what we've recently gone through in the past couple of years. Uh, you want to talk about what the, what the drought has done. I know this is a negative thing. I don't like doing negative stuff, but we got to, no, we got to educate no. people. Uh, what has the drought done to the, the waters of the Catskills? Right. So a number of things have happened. Um, we've seen a, tremendous amount of i'll use these we'll talk about the esophis just for a minute because the esophis encompasses several tributaries right there's woodland valley there's um the little beaver kill the beaver kill fox hollow um and so on all the way up to big indians um and uh what what we saw in the last four months when this when this drought really started, you know, as soon as the last drop of rain hit, it was probably end of May or early June. It just started; things just started to slowly dry up, and it, you know, there were some yearling fish. They just did a krill survey the other day up here. I was just talking to one of the DC uh, biologists yesterday. Fortunately, some of those yearlings down a spring, you know, in a little pocket that was probably four feet in diameter and managed to hang in there. Um, but a lot of those other fish um, were really stressed and um, it, it, it definitely took its toll on them. You know, um, when the water temperatures eclipse 70 degrees in any body of, of moving water that holds a Salmo species fish, uh, a cold water species fish, they're stressed. They're, they're choked of oxygen, um, and it makes it very, very tough on them to survive. Um, so what we saw here, just in, in, in this backyard, was the fish that were able to survive and get into the river, a lot of them probably made their way down to the reservoir if they could get there to get to some colder water. 
I did see a number. Uh, I, I did see a kill, unfortunately, um, about a month ago. I saw I saw a handful of, of fish just belly up coming down the river, you know. And I'm looking, and you know, I wasn't fishing. I'm just checking the water out, and I'm seeing these fish, you know, that are dying or had died, and I'm looking at the water temps, and you know, they're. 82 degrees you know like unheard of shit like like you know we we have we have a a typical stretch where the water is going to eclipse 70 up to 75 degrees sometimes it did not drop for the for the low temperature below 70 degrees for a month it was so bizarre i've never seen anything like in 30 years i've been around here and um you know, it was it was scary. It was really scary to see what was what was going to happen. What's the long term effects? What's the impact on the fishery? Um, and uh, you know, I thank God for the reservoir here because at least there's a regenerative place for these fish to to kind of bounce back, um, you know, down the road. But not all the fish died. Not all the fish were were stressed but a lot of them were and it really it definitely made our our lives difficult as guides mm-hmm. um you know like i i can't ethically guide people in water over 70 degrees for trout i'm not going to do it and none of my yeah. guides would do it either you know um so so that was that was difficult there was an economic impact you know yeah. on people here and um you know, we could do smallmouth stuff. We could go out for bass and stuff like that. And that was cool. But, you know, people want to come trout fishing in the fabled Catskills waters and they're in 80 degrees. It's like, dude, yeah. what, what's going on around here? You know, and it, so it was, it was a pretty crazy time. I mean, fortunately, in the last few weeks, not even last two weeks, the water tents have come down and, and, you know, um, they're getting back to normal, normal right now. But, but yeah, it was, a, it was a serious kick, man. Um, and hopefully I really hope we don't see that again anytime soon, but unfortunately I think, you know, that, that some of the warming of the earth and other things that are going on is, is affecting this. So I, I hope it's not a regular thing, um, obviously, but, uh, we just got to keep our fingers crossed, you know. We'd yeah. also like to not to not to jump on any kind of bandwagon. And you can edit this out if you want, but we need the DEP to fix this this portal inlet from the Skahari Reservoir that pumps water into the Ocosis. Oh yeah, water. They're pumping water into this that's seventy four degrees for like two mm. weeks straight. It's like it didn't even have a chance when the water got into the system. For the fish to be able to to, to get a leg up, yeah. you know, and there I got there are some great guys down there and gals that are doing good work and the right work, but it has been a major struggle for all of us, our TU chapters here, all the guides, all the people we know, um, you know, ecologists, biologists, to to try to get this long-standing problem fixed. Um, they're taking in water off the top of this, the reservoir and they're pumping hot water into the, oh, yeah. and it's just not good. And it sucks because at the end of the day, it's really like, okay, how many, how many, you know, giant hotels in New York 
have a have a tub and a shower running for an hour yep. you know for and at this at the sacrifice of of our our river and the fishery and 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 the ecology as a whole um through this area of the Catskills it's it's really it's getting to be an issue and I hope I hope it gets fixed soon but I didn't want to get off topic too much no no that is one um, thing that, that doesn't help <laughs> Yeah. So um, when the brown trout are, uh, the eggs are hatched and stuff like that, do they make their way yeah. upstream? Is that what they do? They do like salmon and yeah. stuff like that? So, sure. So, so most of those fish all act in the same manner, salmonid, salmo species fish, right? So brown trout, typically it, it will begin right around now, right? As soon as fall starts, end of September, early October, we'll see the brown trout start to migrate up into the the river systems and into their tributaries to spawn. Um, and as they start to move up, we will also see a resurgence in activity for the rainbow trout who like to feed on the eggs of the brown trout. Hmm. And the same thing happens in the spring. In the springtime, April, May, the rainbow trout run up out of the reservoir, up into the system, and they'll go as far as they can. And it's the same kind of thing. Like this salmon returned to its home <laughs> when it was born, where it was born. It's yep. kind of, it's the same thing, and they really do do that. They come, they'll come all the way up. They'll go 16 miles up from the reservoir to the tiniest piece of water and spawn up there. And we'll see the brown trout come in and you know, follow them up and they knock the, they, they do the same thing. They knock into the sides of the fish to knock the eggs out of them and they feed on them. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, it's very interesting to my knowledge. I don't know everything, but I know a couple of things. And, but what I'm pretty sure of is that the rainbows will not eat their own eggs, but the browns eat their own eggs and the rainbows eggs, but the rainbows wow. will eat the brown eggs. So greedy um, bastards. See that. Yeah, right. They're cannibals. So yeah, so we're gonna see that happen and now, man. It's it's about to get going and that, that spawn cycle will continue probably right through December. Yeah. And that's why those tributaries are really, really important. Hugely important. Hugely and it's cold. Important. They're they're colder up there because there's more trees, there's more uh landscape, right. they're they're hidden and stuff like that. So those tributaries are very, very important hugely important and like you were saying and to go back what you were talking about earlier man you know the the trees around those tributaries are more important than people think you know they look beautiful but they serve uh, many purposes and uh, what's sad is that a lot of the hemlocks that we're losing along the tributaries are what shade the river and keep those trout protected um in in colder water so that they can do their thing you know and and They'll come back to spawn in those areas that are that are cool and shaded. You know, the Willowemuck and the beaver kill, you know, are are hanging in there. But a lot of the other places we're seeing those hemlocks disappear, which is really kind of sad. Um, hopefully, you know, with with some of the help of the DP and DC and and the fisheries um, department, we'll be able to do some planting and and restoration work. You know, to keep that happening just like you said man that's that's really uh really important yeah it's definitely important to everything <laughs> a lot no not doubt. just the fish no doubt no fish no people <laughs> you know? exactly you know like, there's no there's no there's no fun really down there <laughs> that's right 
you're actually right. No fish, no people. It just it just flicked in my head. What an idiot. Um, with the climate change, uh, you you said you think it's it's going to to keep getting worse and worse. What do you think? Uh, I mean, unfortunately, we can hope that it doesn't. Uh, what do you think? Right. Besides planting the, the hemlocks, like you said, and the trees and stuff like that, could else be done yeah. to help out the the fishing, and then of course the fish yeah. species. Yeah, I mean, one thing that that could help um, is uh, again just basic, you know, ethics of 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 fishing. Like we could probably do a better job of of patrolling the waters. You know, I don't I don't want to sound like a you know like a you know, a Nazi out here, but you know, there's guys, there's, there's people that are snagging big fish with, you know, snagging hooks and shit like that. And, you know, people are like, well, you know what, they're going to eat them. And they're like, that's okay. Yeah, you can eat them. But what you're doing is you're killing a, a, a big breeder, right? That's a gene pool that's hardy and, and has been through generations to get where it is so that it can spawn and make more fish of its type mm -hmm. you know so so there's stuff like that that's going on there's a you know we did change the regs here in new york last year which was which was kind of cool we still don't actually know what's going to come of this probably until next year but um i i know from my own research and 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 stuff kind of what i've seen so far it's it's kind of on the right path but there are things that we can do it's like you know we're not going to we're not going to stop the earth from warming up overnight, obviously, but you know, we can, we can protect these species of, of fish and animals too, that, you know, it, it goes right down the line by being a little more conscious, you know, um, it, it really, I think is like about us doing one person at a time, you know, one conscious, you know, thing at a time. Um, yep. but combined collectively, you know, all of us, could, can can do something if we're if we're minded the right way. If we see something that's that's not right out in the field, we got to do something about it. You know, yeah. we we can't have we can't have people, you know, coming out and and pulling you know twenty fish out of the creek. You know, it's just number one, it's illegal. It's illegal for a reason. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you exactly. Know? You're you're over harvesting. You're you're hurting the the the, the ecology and the biology and the and the fishery as a whole. And you know, so I think some of that stuff could make a difference. You know, um, a little. You know, and the and the rangers in the D.C. have their hands full, and they're spread pretty thin as it is. You know, so they rely on us as guides um, to be good stewards of of the river. And and you know, I have I think three or four you know, uh, DC and DEP cops cell phone numbers and by name, I know them and, um, and some Rangers in my cell phone, um, just because like I could be out guiding and, you know, I'm not going to run out and try to be the police, but I'm going to try to let somebody know at least if, if I see something that's not right going on out there, you know, because they, they just don't have enough help yeah. um, to protect all, all the waters around here. So just a little more conscious, this uh by yeah. everybody you know um, and the steward and the stewarding like you said the stewarding is very important yeah. you know teaching passing that on that's to it. the next person next person next person one by one that's it, that's it yeah. man exactly yeah. just like just like you do you know same thing. Well, <laughs> i try you want people I, to be educated man. exactly and that's why you know different uh 
different people uh, around here have, of course, different opinions. And then also they have different uh, education skills. So, you know, That's trying right. to get anybody else, anybody on here to to pass that along in different ways yeah. is is phenomenal. I think it's great. So and I love doing this. Yeah. I love talking about this stuff because I some right. of this stuff I have no clue about, you know, but, you know, we've. Right. Uh, like like you said, the beaver kill and the Willamette is is doing okay because I mean they're more of the shaded areas, and more of the secluded areas, deep in the middle of nowhere. Right. Of course, Asopus right. is right on twenty three. The Scaharis right on twenty three A and stuff like that, or not twenty three twenty eight. Yeah. Um, yeah. Right. So that's that's what stinks yeah. with those, those yeah. ones. Yeah, higher visibility, higher impact, higher numbers of people, less private, you know, stretches of water. So yeah, we're we're more exposed, you know, in that way um, over here, and and like you said, up on the Schoharie, same thing, and and over to, uh, you know, over to Wyndham and and some of those places, you know. So yeah, man, it's it's important to uh, everybody to just do their part, you know, and try yeah. to, try to be cool, you know. Yeah, everybody needs that. to get along and then to to follow <laughs> right. follow the regulations of of nature because you know there there's one thing of doing yeah. like. 75 and a 65 uh, mile an hour per zone but but to to take all those trout and stuff like that and then to to kill that species is, is absolutely insane yeah man because that's yeah. at the end of the day that's that's about it affects everybody you know yeah. it affects everybody so you got anything else you want to talk about paul anything you want to man i mean i the only thing i want to talk about is when when you're going to take me out on a hike Oh, I'm ready for that. Well, when you when you have the time, I usually have Sundays and Tuesdays off, so I'll, I'll oh, schedule Tuesdays something. Kick ass. Tuesdays Tuesdays are good for me. Well, good because I have never been fly fishing. I've barely been well, fishing in my go. life. Why don't we? We'll do a combo. We'll do. I'll bring the fly rods and we'll do a hike. We'll hike to a, a crazy place. Well, excellent. We'll Please track. How's that? <laughs> hey, I I don't mind that. I don't mind that. I do it all the time. <laughs> I do it all the time. <laughs> oh, good good so excellent paul thank you for joining me on show um once again everybody check out catskill outfitters what are the hours what do you guys do uh uh your hours at uh we're we're about to shift our hours currently we are thursday to monday 10 to 4 p.m you can always go online catskilloutfitters.com and uh book a trip if you want or reach out and get in touch with us and uh yeah, man. Uh, we'll be looking forward to a really good fall season of fishing. So looking forward Sweet. to that. Excellent. Looking forward to it as well. Right. So thank, thank you for joining me on the show. Wait a minute. Let's, uh, let's not do this. Uh, let's not forget to do this. I, uh, Mary T, one of my friends, Mary T, I tried to spell her last say last name, T-Trielt, something like that. She's going to kill me. Um, post hike brews and bites. Where uh, do you go after a hike or after fly fishing that you would like to suggest uh, to uh, yeah, so uh, we fortunately we're really lucky that we have uh, our great little local pizza place and pub right in Phoenicia at the uh, Sportsman's Restaurant and Brios, the brick mm -hmm. oven pizza right across the street from the shop, and uh, we love going there. We also uh, love our friends over at Woodstock Brewing. My uh, buddy Scott Shimamura is the uh, brewmaster there makes kick-ass beer and my friends over at Westkill Brewing, um, Kevin Van Blarkham and, and Mike, they're kick-ass dudes. And we love taking our, our customers and clients over there as well. So, you know, everybody in the neighborhood for sure. 
Nice. That, that's some good places. Westkill just got some food, by the way. That 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 makes me pumped. They did. They I'm not did. I, I'm not a big beer guy, but I used to go there and I'd just be like, man, I could really use something to eat right now. I know. I know. I'm super stoked because I, I know it it's it's always been good when they had the food truck or they do like a a special night there. So this is that's a, a welcome addition for sure. Yeah, definitely. And I Woodstock Brewing, I, I've been there many times. I uh, love their stuff, love their burgers. They got some good burgers. Um, yeah. And of course, Brios. I, I think I, I'm pretty sure 95% of the time that I've asked people this, they've mentioned Brios. So <laughs> yeah. I hope somebody from Brios I, is listening to this. They got to they gotta <laughs> jump on this and sponsor me, man. There you go. You know what? As a matter of fact, I think I, I might mention this to my good friend Mike, who who owns the place, and and let him know that we're spreading the word for him. But I'll I'll let him know <laughs> when I started. I'll let him know when I started this uh, this post hike Bruce invites, and then how many times people have said Brios because I'm. It's got to be ninety eight percent of the time. That's kick ass. It's I'll a good place. <laughs> and I love I love my favorite place, of course, is Oakley's. I love Oakley's down oh, towards Arkville. I can't, I can't forget Oakley's every time I'm out in Margaretville or fishing the East or West branch. I, I am literally racing to get to Oakley's because it's like awesome food. And I'm probably going to starve to death by the time I get home. So that's my last, you know, uh, uh, that's my oasis for sure. Yeah. For food and a beer. <laughs> Good call. Sure. Good call. Once right again, on. um, all right. Well, thank you for this, uh, the donors, I really appreciate the monthly donors, uh, people who've donated the coffee. Soon I will be going to, I'm, I'm going to be going to the Friends of the Feathered and Furry and donate some money from from last year. So I'm, I'm really excited about that. But Paul, thank you very much for joining me on the show. It was really great to have you here. Thank you so much, man. I appreciate it. Thanks for your time. Anytime, man. Check out Catskill Outfitters online or down in Phoenicia, please. Um, have a good night, Paul. You too, my man. Take care. All right, man. Thank you for listening to the show. If you enjoyed the show, subscribe and throw down a review on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or any podcast platform that you use. You can also check out daily updates of the podcast and my hikes and also memes on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and the official website of the show. This isn't a goodbye. This is a see you later. Hopefully. <laughs>